Funkadelic. Can I get it on my th- 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 Bowie. Buffett. She's paradise. Bruce. Their common chord, Batista. And it was just like really kind of wow, special for this hillbilly hick kid, you know, 24 years old from. Yeah. Indianapolis. Tom Batista, the Hoosier who built a career marching to the beat of a different drummer. Margaritaville. He shares his incredible journey with us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. It's a long way from walking the halls of Brebuff High School to traveling the globe as a concert stage manager with some of music's heavy hitters, including 30 years with Jimmy Buffett. But that's just part of Tom Batista's story. He's also carved out a niche in the food business, running some of the hottest restaurants in Indianapolis. Want to sit and watch traffic off the beaten path in the middle of the interstate? He's got you covered. Tom Batista. Really a treat to uh, uh, to sit down with you and talk about what is uh, an amazing career that's still going strong. We're we're upstairs at Bluebeard's, yes, your restaurant you launched about a decade ago, yes. uh, and has had such success. It's such uh, an attraction, and, and this was a derelict building. Oh, right? absolutely, it was you boarded up. It was. Uh, I actually found it. From Jim Lingenfelter, an architect who was doing Black Market, another one of our buildings on Mass Avenue, and his office was across the street from here. And we walked out from a meeting about uh, handicapped bathrooms. Meeting was over. I walked out to my truck, and he walked me out there. And I looked across the street, and I saw this glazed brick white building. And I said to him, that looks like a bakery on the East Coast. And he said, it's for sale. You should buy it. So and, we walked across did. the street. I went and he did. We walked across the street. It was all overgrown, boarded up, uh, had to scratch the grass off the sign that had been knocked down, called the number, and Bob Lindgren, a guy I went to high school with, answered the phone. Wow. And so then he told me about the building and he said it was, you know, it was expensive. And I go, Oh, I acted like it was no big deal. When I got off the phone, I told Jim, that's crazy. They want that much money for this building. They're nuts. But I told him to send me the, the cut sheet. So he sent me the cut sheet, and it was for three buildings. This building built in 19... I mean, this one was built in 1866. Wow. The back building was built in 1924, and the coffee shop, now Calvin Fletcher Coffee, was built in 1935. Yeah. And so it was three buildings, and then that kind of made sense. You could divide it up. So then we negotiated and bought it. And and how much work was involved? How much work oh, was Oh, a lot. Involved? Yeah. Yeah, it was... They, uh, what had happened, the person who owned it had passed away in his family. I think it was two daughters and a son. They weren't going to board up another window. They were through with this building. They thought, uh, they were excited when the trail was going to come through. There were talk of the trail. 
but it didn't happen. And they thought because of the uh, depression or whatever was happening in 88 or whatever it was, they thought that it would never happen. And so they decided to dump the building. Luckily, I was the one in line. Yeah. So. Yeah. So many restaurants, our bistro, black market, milk tooth, uh, of course. It started on Mass Ave, right? Was started that on place? Mass Ave. And the first building I bought is where Black Market was, which is currently Bodie Thai. And uh, I bought it for my wife, who is a conservator. She restores oil paintings. Mm-hmm. And she worked at the art museum. And she, everybody in the conservation lab at the art museum, they all want to get out on their own. They just always talk about it. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we ended, ended up getting her out of there. And I built a lab, though, in our garage. It was real easy for our kids to walk to school. And so we never used, but I bought that building for her lab. Yeah. It was, it's kind of the arts district. Okay. So many interesting things about you, the restaurant stuff, but the fact that for 30 years and you just retired, right? Yes. A Jimmy Buffett stage manager, 30 years. I know. I, I can't imagine somebody doing that for 30 years. Yeah. But well, it, it's, he just brings fun all over the country. Everybody, they all know the lyrics to the songs. They sing along. It's really easy on our end of it doing the production because the promoters, they love us because Jimmy sells tickets and yeah. he sells beer and he sells everything. So we get whatever we need to do a show. They're not trying to nickel dime us and not complaining about having too many people or feeding too many people. Yeah. So it really has been a pleasure for 30 years. What, how would you describe being on the road with Jimmy Buffett? It's like uh, we stay in great hotels, you know, like when we're here, the oh, what's the one, the Marriott the new Marriott. JW. JW. Yeah. We stay in the JW, you know, the whole crew, we come and eat at Bluebeard and Jimmy picks up the tab. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it was. I mean, yeah. how it is and has been for 30 years. Fun. Oh, unbelievable. How we played the White House a couple of times, hit out in the basement of the White House as a surprise 50th birthday for Clinton. And of course, then he comes out and hangs out with the girls, you know, our dancers. <laughs> Imagine that. But yeah, it's just been a great adventure. How did that start? How, how and, and Buffett is just one of the entertainers you, you've worked, I've worked for. for a lot went of different IU, entertainers. started at IU, right? I did. Well, I majored in history at IU, not theater. Okay. So it's unusual to take a history degree and get in the entertainment business. But that's just kind of, if you have your blinders off, you know, some yeah. things just kind of happen. Yeah. How I got in the business, I had just graduated. I had bought some land in Southern Indiana and I was up here making money to try to get a well because I had to carry water to my cabin in the woods. Yeah. What happened, my roommate, uh, freshman and sophomore year at IU was from Dayton, Ohio. And he actually lives in England. He's, he gave up his citizenship here. He lives in England, but he convinced me that the, our whole society was going to collapse. You know, it was during Nixon who was kind of not telling the truth and then, so we figured that we better learn how to live off the land. And so we went and looked for land in Brown County, and it was $800 to $1,000 an acre on a ravine where you couldn't even have a garden. Yeah. And our idea was we needed to have something that you could live off the land, but we couldn't afford that much money. The next semester, he got flat, he got flat feet, which got you out of the draft. So he was able to drop out of college. He hitchhiked out to California to see his cousin who was a firefighter. And he decided not to do that. He came, he was coming back through Southern Indiana and a traveling salesman saw this. uh, They were going past this farm with this white fence all the way around it. And 
he said that there was land down here for $100 an acre. So he got out of the car, hitchhiked to Bloomington, found me, and we went back to Paoli that day. And we found the, we went to four different realtor offices. And of course, we had long hair and stuff like that. The first three had no land for sale. The, the last guy, Paul Wainick at United Farm Agency, he had a stack of papers that thick of land for sale. And he said he would show us and take us around the county, but not today because it was four o'clock. He was going home, yeah. come back tomorrow. So we went back tomorrow, found some land, and um, we, oh, we were really excited. This was going to be great. I mean, we, we didn't really do any research, but we saw this land. It was isolated on a gravel road. So we went back to his office. We're filling out the paperwork. And by God, you can't enter into a contract in Indiana unless you're 21 and neither of us were 21. Now, you, could, you can't drink. But you could go to Vietnam, kill or be killed, yeah. but you couldn't right. enter into a contract. So Paul Wainick said he would hold it for me, for us, and that, uh, and we were going to be, in June, I would turn 21. And he, he, in fact, held it. But Bill Becker, my buddy and partner, took off following the who, went to England, found a girl, married her, and he still lives in Torquay to this day. Uh, he has his... Uh, 50th wedding anniversary coming up. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and and you built you built it. So camp? then, yeah. So we cleared two acres. And when I say we, I invite anybody down that would come, and people would come and you know smoke pot and, yeah. <laughs> and drink, and yeah. we'd have campfires and stay in tents. And then yeah. the guy I worked for through high school and college was this old man concrete guy, and he knew of uh, some people that bought a lot of the barracks at Camp Atterbury, and he said he knows if we go down there, we'll be able to find you know, enough wood to build a cabin. And so that's what we did. He took me down there yeah. and we found this guy. And the guy, if I gave him 60 floor joists out of the mess hall, I could have the whole building. Wow. And so then that's what I did. And then I called, you know, some friends from Rebuff and we went down and they helped me. And um, that's where I got the wood and we built a cabin. Yeah. Okay. So how did you get then the, the connection to the music industry? Um, I was up here. Again, working with the old man doing concrete work to get money to to dig a well. And I got a call. And he was, that's another thing that just happened. He was superstitious. He was an old school superstitious guy that could, you know, recite. He could drink 24 beers at a time on this guy. He was a <laughs> character. But anyway, he would never start a new job on a Friday. And we just finished on Thursday. And I got a call from another Brabuff guy that they needed help setting up a, a show that got forced out of Raceway Park, and they moved it to the Bush Stadium here on 16th Street. And he said, they're going to lose their shirt. They won't have any money to pay you, but you can see how rock and roll works from backstage. So I said, well, that sounds pretty interesting. You know, I'll, I'll try that. And so I went Friday at noon and met this guy from New York. And I was really good at setting up scaffolding because we'd done it. And so I took a crew of people and started setting up. And I kind of made his life easy. But the real thing was we worked all through the night. We worked all through the show. It started at noon on Saturday, 11 o'clock Saturday night. It was over. We put the, we put away the sound console and the lighting console. And he told all these kids who worked for free to get into the show to come back tomorrow, Sunday at noon. And I was the only guy who showed back up. Really? <laughs> I swear to God, I was the only guy. So I called three or four of my buddies and they came down and with three truck drivers and Bruce DeForest, who he, Bruce DeForest ended up being the assistant building superintendent of Madison Square Garden in charge of everything that was not sports. 
Really? So the dog shows, <laughs> any auctions, you know, in yeah. any rock show, all the shows. But anyway, that was the guy who got me in the business. Then he invited me at the end of that day. He said he was building a cl uh, club in New York and, it, and if I would be interested in helping him do it. And he asked me how much. And at the time, I was making $2.50 an hour. And I wasn't smart enough to say $10. I said $4. And he said, okay, and I'll give you a place to stay. So he got me a place to stay at Bleecker and Bowery, which is the hippest part of New York now. When I was there, it was derelict. Uh -huh. CBGB's was still just a strict biker bar. It wasn't, uh -huh. you know, punk yet or whatever it turned yeah. into being. But it was a great adventure. And we built that club and took six months. And then... Which became the bottom line. Yeah. And I had no idea they were involved in the music business, but they were. Uh -huh. And they recorded a lot of albums there and... You know, Bruce Springsteen played first there. I mean, you know, just a lot of famous people, you know, came. And for the opening night, they flew me back for opening night. And Mick Jagger and uh, Johnner and Edgar Winner and <laughs> Dr. John opened the club. And this is a 500-seat club. And it was just like really kind of wow, special for this hillbilly hick kid, you know, 24 years old from yeah. Indianapolis. Yeah. And then, okay, so then the connection Buffett was just, you You just said, hey, give me a call if you can. Yeah, well, that went down. That was further down the line. I had been on the road. So I did, at the very beginning, did David Bowie, Diamond Dogs, and then it segued into this Young Americans tour. And then I did Parliament Funkadelic, a P-Funk. It's a funk band from 75 to 81. Mm -hmm. And Remember, uh, yeah. It was, you know, pretty amazing adventure to travel around the country with a black show in that time because, you know, people, well, the one incident that really sticks in my brain is we were playing Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Spectrum, which is now torn down. Mm -hmm. But right before the show, a whole cadre, or I don't know what you call them, but a whole detail of police officers in three-quarter length leather jackets, black jack boots, guns, came marching through backstage just to intimidate a black show it was really it was scary it was intense and scary wow. but the audience you know loved the show and yeah. everything was fine we sold it out and it was just but that was just one of those things that just kind of sticks in your brain that god yeah. why, why would they do that and the guys if i could remember the the guy's name he ended up being the mayor of philadelphia for a while too you would know the name if i could remember but i can't wow uh, so that, I mean, that had to be uh, an experience, the different kinds of music and, and events you worked with. 30 years on the road with Buffett, and, and you just, like we you say, you just retired. Yes. How many weeks a, a year? Well, with Jimmy, uh, we were down to 20 weeks a year, and we would do it in little um, two-week things. So we'd do, you know, 25 or 30 shows over those times. You'd go out for two weeks and do three or four shows. Then you're off for three or four weeks. It was a wonderful thing. And his show was the smallest show that I'd ever done. The simplest, you know, easiest show to do. Yeah. And also there was no risk to any promoter. So they were, would take care of all of our needs. Do you have a favorite memory of the, of the, those 30 years? Probably be oh, tough with to... Jimmy? Well, some, yeah. I remember one time we, I think at St. Francis Square, we were staying in the St. Francis Hotel on some square and in San Francisco, and there was a, my job as a stage manager was also to take the daily sheet and slide them under everybody's door. This is before we had uh, iPhones or cell sure, phones. Yeah. And so you had to get an actual physical paper slid under the door. So I would, 
it started at the 17th floor and worked my way down all the way down. And I got to the lobby and it's like 830 in the morning. And there was 10 people in the lobby from our crew. And I'm like, these guys, they're not usually up this early. What are you, what are you doing? They're going to walk to Sausalito for lunch. I had no idea how far Sausalito was. I had on shorts and a t-shirt. I had no idea that when you go over the Golden Gate Bridge, it's going to be like, you know, 20 degrees cooler. Right. I froze my ass and you'd go up and down, up and down. And finally, I was, me and this other older guy was lagging behind and they were way far ahead. And I started hitchhiking, trying to get anybody <laughs> to give me a ride. I was starting to hallucinate almost. And a white van pulled off the road, skid its tires, and the side door pops open. And Jimmy Buffett goes, Batista, what are you doing out here? He was taking his kids to the petting zoo in Sausalito. And he had two nannies with him. Jane, his wife, wasn't there, but his kids were. And, and it was just like, I got in that band. I was getting in that band no matter who it was. Yeah. But he gave us a ride into town, and then I had lunch and took a, the ferry home. And I took yeah. a cab from the dock, even though it was oh. only six blocks yeah. away. To describe your job. Yeah, you oh, mentioned stage it. manager. Yeah. So I'm the, basically, it's one of the best jobs because they only, I'm the day of show guy. So if we do 25 shows in a year, I have 25 days and I'm actually working. People don't call me. I, I don't have to deal with transportation or catering yeah. or any day of show I do, but I don't have to do any in advance. So it's wonderful. Yeah. So day of show, you're there. Make sure all the stage ends are there. Divide them up and give them to different departments. Um, working on planning the out and talking to the local stagehand people, making mm -hmm. sure that they know what we're going to do and what how many people we need and that kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, for the show, actually, go get Jimmy, take him to Radio Margaritaville or whatever thing he's doing at that, you know, that yeah. time. And then start the show. And then the show runs like clockwork. Jimmy's professional. He's not like George Clinton. <laughs> he would, you know, he would be two hours late and show up and then want to play for two extra hours. And all these buildings you play, if they're union, they don't want anything to do with that. They, yeah. they don't mind it, but they're afraid they're not going to get paid or what. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. The promoters don't like it. Yeah. How, how was the entertainment? How did the entertainment game change over the course of those 30 years? <laughs> well, when I first started, the crew and the band and the star all stayed in the same hotels. We all traveled together. It was just like more... Uh, it was easier to be family. And it was, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was like wonderful. Yeah. But then as they started getting more and more money in it, all of a sudden, you know, the lead guy has his own planes. Yeah. And they get off the bus and they start, then the band starts flying. Well, the crew always has taken the buses. And that's why I prefer to travel anyway. I don't want to, on my day off. And Jimmy doesn't do back-to-back -back shows. So we always had days off in every city. And we always stayed in the downtown areas. We didn't stay out of Deer Creek. You right, know, right. In the middle of nowhere, we always did that at every city. So I've gotten to know a lot of cities, which is another reason why I like bread <laughs> and why I did Amelia's. Because when I would get back home, there was no bakery that actually made good Italian style yeah. uh, real bread. Yeah, is it, I was going to ask you about that. How you know how it, it evolved into this restaurant bakery business? So part of it, kind of an outgrowth of being on the road. Well, it, it well the the bread definitely was. I mean, that was the whole. My mission was to do that, and that's why I bought these buildings. Do the bread. My son, who was a second year law student at the time, had a buddy, and they found a liquor license for a thousand dollars right before the the Super Bowl that was here. 
Oh. And so everybody, the city wanted all these little restaurants to be able to serve liquor and make our city kind of hipper. So they had uh, 94 licenses available with the new uh, uh, census. There was 94 more. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. But they made the rule that uh, you could only buy one and you had to have an address to put it at to keep the people that buy and sell liquor licenses. They would have come in and bought them all. Right. And they would have bid it up and it would have been really high. Yeah. Well, as it was, there weren't 94 bidders. So we got one for $1,000, a three-way license that oh, the man. week before would be thirty-five or 40000 And so then that was the thing for him then to start with. And then he had to start a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we worked on. Yeah. Your restaurants, again, I know we touched on it, but you identify buildings that are uh, in bad shape, basically, yes. right? And, and derelict you, areas. You, you bring them, you bring them to life, and that's we have. that's your model, right? That is kind of, and we tried to do that at the Can Can, but unfortunately, the building we picked out, this church, and we had we had great plans. We had it figured out how we could get three theaters in this old nineteen twenty one church. And what happened was, as soon as we hired our architect Jim McQuiston, who hired an engineering firm, they had me do some. Uh, holes in the basement so they could see the foundation and they said that foundation will not hold it's already sinking it will not hold another thing and when you do uh, movie theaters you have to put soundproof walls in so that wasn't going to work so we had to then go back to dmd and it was a nightmare through the city they just didn't see the value of that being in the neighborhood even though it's on the edge of a neighborhood but it ended up being it's a great asset to uh, Windsor Park and Spades Park, which is right next to it. Yeah. Uh, you, you have so many things going on. One of your, I think, most interesting projects is the idol, uh. right? <laughs> and we're, we're going to talk about that right after the break. We've got to take okay. a, a quick break on the Business and Beyond podcast. But Great. the idol is unique, and so many people have b- been by it and probably don't even know it. Uh, right. So we're going to have you talk about Great. that. Great. That'll be fun. When, when we return. PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank, see how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank, all rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast. We're uh, above Bluebeard at Great Indianapolis uh, Restaurant in downtown uh, Indianapolis with Tom Batista, uh, talking about a career that is uh, interesting to say the least. And one of the most interesting aspects, most recently, the idol, which is uh, something that a lot of you may have driven by and not known it's there or what it is. But Tom, uh, the idol, how did it come about? Well, PNC is partly responsible for the idol. Is it? Oh. Because we would walk to the PNC to make deposits from Bluebeard and okay. Amelia's. Perfect. And I'd walk past this uh, this little spit of land. And one day I climbed over the guardrail and went back there. And I said, God, this is a great place for a viewing stand. And it brought to mind um, a viewing stand 
I was with Mariah Carey and we were playing Taipei and had this stadium there. And there's a viewing stand with, I don't know, a Shankai Shack picture up there, but it was a viewing stand where people, all the generals would sit and then people would march by. And I thought that would make a great place for a viewing stand. We could just view the cars. That's how and the, so that's where the that's idea one came of, from. One of the ideas. And the other one, of course, is the, um, the trail in New York, the High Line. There's a place in the High Line where you can sit down and eat lunch right over a street and watch all the traffic. So that was another talk, in, talk, inspiration. Talk about the, 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 uh, the intent, what you it, want to accomplish. Well, it took six years to do. Of course, the Federal Highway Administration didn't want it to happen. The INDOT, which is in charge of all the interstates in town, didn't want it. It wasn't in their book. They didn't want it to happen. And the city, Department of Public Works, of course, they only do what they're told from up mm -hmm. above. They don't care. And so none of them wanted it you know, to happen. I had a meeting at the courtyard out here at Bluebeard, and they had Brian Payne from the trail, and I had some engineers from INDOT, and I had some people from a lot of people. And, you know, they said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And the idea was to reunite the neighborhoods that were divided by the interstate. And Brian Payne told me that 17,000 people were dislocated when they built the interstate through our city. 17,000 people. And I, you know, it was just like horrible. So, you know, I told them, we want to rejoin the neighborhood. This is a place where both sides can come and we can talk. And, and talk about the neighborhoods. Which neighborhoods are we? We're, uh, you're talking about Fountain Square mm -hmm. on one side, and that's where St. Pat's is, and Holy Rosary over here, Fletcher Place. Mm -hmm. And uh, also Bates Hendricks was all divided um, by the, when the interstate came yeah. through. And so they said, oh, yeah, you know, and they just kind of put me off, but I kept pushing it and pushing it. And finally, I talked to um, Andre Carson's office. I called him because he was on a transportation thing right. for the government. Right. And so I said, well, God, if we can get the, those people, because they're the actual owners of the land, that maybe that would work. Well, he had arranged a meeting with two um, people from the Federal Highway Administration yeah. that were in town for a meeting. And we got a 30-minute slot to, to be able to pitch our, our deck to him. So... I, you know, brought a couple of people with me and we went to this meeting and it wasn't going to start out very right because you go in this room and you have a choice. You can sit around this table or the other end of the table. And we were sitting at one end and when they came in, they went to the opposite end of the table, you know, 20 chairs away. And I'm thinking, oh, God, yeah, this is not good. I'm going to go. Yeah. So anyway, we're into this, doing the pitch, and I had, you know, I had drawn, by then I had some drawings of it, and my original ones were just on a napkin, actually, and um, they were still being just, no, no, and I finally got up and I said, look, if you put the interstate through 20 years earlier, my mother's a Murphy, holy, I mean, <laughs> St. Pat's is in Fountain Square, my dad's Italian, holy rosary's over here. They might not have never, they probably would have never met and I wouldn't even be here. <laughs> and they all got a laugh out of that and it actually sunk in. That, that kind of uh, clicked with them. That kind of clicked with them. So then that's kind of got the ball rolling. Yeah. And then after they said the okay, so this is four and a half years in, they said, oh yeah, this is, we, you can do that. I was so excited, but then you had to raise the money. And so again, um, the bank, PNC Bank, mm -hmm. they have a program to help neighborhoods that they're in. And there was a woman there, and I can't remember her name. It's killing me that I can't mention her yeah. name. But she said, we're sorry. 
we can't do it. That's in a no man's zone between Fletcher Place and here. Oh. So just outside of the boundaries where they could actually give us a little yeah. seed money. But she said, check out Patronicity. And so the Patronicity was this, and it's still around. They were in uh, Michigan, Indiana, and Massachusetts. And they do community work, community projects, just like the idol. And they'll match funding. So, but then, you know, then I had to get all of these uh, legitimate bids on all this stuff to do. So it was going to, you know, we were going to do it out of our pocket, just do it yeah. using, you know, pipes from the, the steam system here for post. And, you know, we had it all figured out. No, the Federal Highway Administration, you got to have legitimate things. So then engineering firms design things out of bridge steel. And you know, it ended up being uh, $82,000. To do this simple little three yeah. rows of chairs to sit and watch traffic. And um, so, you know, it was devastating to me. But then Patronicity said, okay, you can raise 41, we'll give you 40. We'll match it. Yeah. And so uh, we were able to raise the 41. And of course, Patronicity, they help, you know, new people that are doing this nonprofit yeah. stuff, which I had not really done. I mean, I'd been involved in nonprofits, but never really done anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And, d d describe. The idol, what's there? Because I think you have, do you have it's the a, chairs from yeah, Bush well, Stadium? Well, they were from Bush Stadium, but they got destroyed. They're now from the natatorium. The mm -hmm. difference between the Bush Stadium seats, they were the not the old wooden ones that were really cool. They were the modern ones that were cast aluminum. And so these kids, they were able to break them really easily. Ah. Now we have chairs from the natatorium that are cast iron. So if they kick them, they can break their foot before they break. <laughs> But yeah. so, and the funny thing is, you know, when it happened, people were so up in arms and I was kind of up in arms. I just wanted to catch them and take them to their parents. Yeah. Say, yeah. Right. Yeah. This is what your kids are doing. Yeah. What, you know, what, have yeah. you not taught them anything? Right. Right. But, you know. When did the idol launch? When did it open up? Oh God, I wish I could remember dates like that, but yeah. I can't, but it was after we were open here. So okay, six or seven years what, ago. What has transpired there i mean is, is it has it done what you wanted oh it to yeah do? are yeah. you kidding it has it's and it's still people go there all the time it's just uh, a great little thing and people come from out of town and go there and go there yeah because wow. they, they saw it on cbs uh sunday morning yeah well but jane Polly didn't come though that kind of pissed yeah. me off because she's from here <laughs> exactly but it was luke burbank yeah and he's a great guy too yeah you are very passionate about Indianapolis, right? And downtown. Oh, yeah, yeah and doing, that yeah. fits that fits into this whole Well, equation. I kind of blame a little bit on Burbuff because they always put in our brains, it's for others. You're here for others, no matter what you're for others. And so when I move into any area of community, I start picking up trash and we're there and we're gonna make it better. And it's you know, we volunteered for the original Jazz Fest when it was on Mass yep. Avenue. We put 42 bike racks in before the uh, Monon Trail even came down. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, we had to raise money to do it. And that's another story. Uh, when we got, uh, it was $4,200. And I went to Brian Payne and he was going to match. So we got Eleven hundred dollars to match it to. We had forty-two. No, we had twenty-two hundred dollars yeah. or something. Yeah. But we could only get uh, half. They would have charged two hundred dollars a piece for the chairs to install them. A hundred to install yeah. them. A hundred for the chair. And I said, "We'll install them." Yeah. So then I got my kids, Ed and Vicky, when they were younger, and 
and Sherry and we went along. You know, I have extension cords and hammer drills and yeah. we installed them all. Yeah. Wow. So, What's next, um, Tom? I have a thing that I want to do. I want to get an old R32 subway car from New York City and put it over the Mighty Pogues Run, which is at yeah. Newman Street. Newman Street is the street behind Circle City Industrial Complex uh -huh. and the yeah. Spay Neuter Clinic. There's a little street there called Newman Street, and there used to be a bridge there. So the bridge abutments are still there. So if I can get one of these subway cars without the wheels, I yeah. can pick it up with a crane and just set it there, cut the ends of it open, and make a safe passage for um, people to get, to get over Pogues Run. Right now, you go down to Commerce Street, and it's like a little raceway park, two lanes of traffic each way, and they're racing. As soon as it's stoplight, they get over the railroad track, and they're just speeding through there. If I had little kids, I wouldn't want to cross that bridge right. Right. You know, with a baby carriage. It's just yeah. too scary. Yeah. But so this will be a safe way to get people across the bridge, and it'll be a thing that people will come to see. People will go, oh, God, did you see it? And they're stainless steel cars, so you can keep the graffiti off of them. Yeah. Not the inside, but the outside, you can the outside, keep the graffiti yeah. off of it. How, how soon do you think you can get Well, I've that, been working that, on I don't know, people say. But they always said it can never do the idle, so yeah. yeah. I think we can make it happen. Well, we're going to look forward to uh, seeing the progress on that. Yeah. Tom Batista, hey, it's been a real, a real treat. My pleasure Indianapolis is lucky too. to... Lucky to have you and uh, all of the great things you're doing. Thanks, uh, cool. thanks for being here. Well, I appreciate it. Go to the Can Can. Okay, yep. join the Can Can. It's a nonprofit, 501c3, great for the city. Join. Okay, there's the pitch right there. There you go.